Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine and with me there are two other sad human beings that scream a lot. I'm Fletcher and I love this. I'm Adam. And I'm very emo this week. Is uh, Adam the clean voice and Fletcher the screamo background vocals in this equation? Why you say that? We have faced a lot of radio music screwed up, but really we are facing the rare uh, Ellie screwed up because apparently this record, maybe something changed, maybe it got downvoted too much, but and nowhere on this band's discography there is the tag emo pop. First of all, let's remember that I compiled this spreadsheet by hand, so mistakes are bound to happen, whatever. I literally sat down in a room and, like, scrolled through Billboard's charts for, like, about two weeks. So that's, you know, mistakes happen that way. But, on the other hand, I would like to highlight how me making mistake generally tends to lead to better results than radio music making mistake, because... This is definitely a band that influenced, like, 99% of the emo pop coming forward. Like, I'm pretty sure um, Taking Back Sunday has done some songs that are literally cuts from this record, but with a better chorus and with less hard instrumentation. Like, there, this record has a lot of tropes that... Well, this record sort of not necessarily pioneers, but popularizes a lot of tropes that we will see in a lot of music that is actually emo pop. So I made a mistake, but also my mistake rules, and fuck y'all. Yeah, this rules. And fuck Rate Your Music. Anyhow, today we're talking about Full Collapse by Thursday. Rate Your Music might be broken right now, because I'm trying to see if there's any other things under post-hardcore or emo that we might want to check on the list, and it's only giving me results from 1984 for some reason. Rate Your Music is weird. How are you checking? I went to rate your music slash genre slash post hardcore. Okay, you ne- you have to the the results that you get there are often limited. You have to click view the charts, and then on the charts you can sort of personalize your view. Oh God! Okay, that's way more than I can do during recording. This will come later. Look, rate your music is extremely useful, and it's also like a twenty-year-old website. User antagonistic. It is currently receiving an update, and they were making a a completely other site, and then no one used the completely other site, so now they are sort of jamming the two sides together, and it it's weird. It's weird. They even they also tried to make a video game site. Oh no! To where you can rate your video games. It was called Glitchwave, and it's still up. But now all of the other movie and music sites that they were m- making together with Glitchwave are being like jammed into Rate Your Music, and no one knows what's going to happen to the video game side of things. So, Rate Your Music, it's an interesting thing. Huh. 
terrible audience, terrible fucking audience, what shit taste. Yeah, it sounds right. We established, radio music users do not know what is pop-punk. They are not aware of the essence of pop-punk, and therefore keep mistagging records. What's a pop-punk? It's a more accessible version of uh, cyberpunk, cyberpop-punk. Instead of Keanu Reeves, you're following around, um... Oh my god, I can't think of his name from uh, Twin Peaks. Kyle MacLachlan. No, 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 Fletch. There's also pop-punked, where you follow around Ashton Kutcher. Ooh, that's much better. Thursday, does any of you have any prior experience with the band? They sure sound familiar, but I have not actually heard any of their music, just the stuff that ripped off of it, to be clear. I do know both of the singles off of this album. They're quite good. Fun fact, the singer from Thursday will go on to produce the first uh, My Chemical Romance record in a couple of years. Hmm. Anyhow, Thursday is great. I uh, was vaguely aware of them. I knew that they were sort of like, they didn't necessarily invent all of the tropes that they use at this point, like post-hardcore existed for a while, but they are the one who started to merge that sort of harsh music, hard, like hard-hitting emo music with popular sensibilities, and they sort of popularized a lot of that mix of genre, which then went on to become a lot more pop, a lot more chorus-oriented, Shall we talk about the history of this band? Yeah. Thursday was formed in 1997 in, I believe this is a new locale for the show, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Thursdays didn't exist until that year? Yeah, much like how uh, color wasn't around until people played with photography enough to make our eyes work. And everything in the world crackled until we got digital audio technology. Just go listen to a tape. Oh yeah, okay, I get it. That's why we had concrete music, because everything sounded like it was crumbling in real time until uh, digital. Yep. Anyhow, vocalist Jeff Rickley, guitarist Tom Keeley, guitarist Bill Henderson, bassist Tim Payne, and drummer Tucker Rule all formed the initial lineup. Random facts about Mr. Rickley, the frontman and main songwriter of the band. Raised Catholic. Literature major. Suffers from epilepsy. Yeah, the, ep- the epilepsy will be relevant because, uh, because yeah, that, that will affect the ability of the band to consistently tour, which was important at this time. You didn't just get famous off TikToks. You had to, like, go outside. <laughs> okay, Grandma Elaine. <laughs> Quietly puts you back in the home. They said they were me making Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> That's the worst one. I won't fail fantasy tactics. I know, right? I would love that. Anyhow, the band will play show, start recording some demos, eat hot chip, and lie. Interestingly, their first EP will be released exclusively through, and this is a throwback that hit me in the gut, mp3.com. Before iTunes existed. <laughs> yeah, back when that whole thing, like, 
there were arguments that people might try and keep MP3 as a format you had to pay to use. This was a wild time for digital music. And in fact, that's basically why the Og Vorbis format exists, is because everyone decided, well, if they're going to take away MP3, we need an open source format for the masses. This is why you've seen uh, all of five Og Vorbis files since 2000. This is completely irrelevant, but the website that I use to download YouTube songs, that sometimes, you know, when I don't want to download the whole record for, like, the early songs of a band, only downloads in Og Vorbis. Hmm. Because it uh, risks less legal action. I still have some Og Vorbis stuff, mostly because I played around in the custom song in the groove scene years ago, and that was what that ran on for, again, licensing reasons. Also, I'm just realizing how fun to say Yog Vorbis is. It sounds like a uh, DC Comics villain or something. Og Vorbis sounds like a guy who would fight Sonic and Tails in Archie Comics. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I'll have you know I am the Gwalris God Og Vorbis. Oh no, Sonic! It better go fast, or whatever Sonic says. Chili dogs! Quickly, speed, Jeed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, releasing a record through mp3.com around like 98, that was fairly ahead of their time. Cool stuff. Agreed. 1999, they released their first EP, Waiting, through small indie label Eyeball Records. It's the one that has Ryan Records on the cover giving you the gooch. What? That's a joke about a movie called Waiting from this time. Okay. Sorry. But yeah, the band eventually gets noticed by Victory Records, which around late 2000, I didn't find an exact date, but if you look at all of the events around it, you probably correct imagining it's uh, around late 2000, will sign them to a deal as they start working on the album that we're talking about this week, Full Collapse. Part of the deal they negotiate, and this is a special clause that we will use later in this episode, Part of the deal that they negotiate involves that they are free to leave the record contract as long as they're being signed by a major. This will be relevant. Yeah, that sounds like the kind of thing you write in there going, yeah, sure, if that ever happens, we're sure to let you go. And then it actually does. Just before they start recording Full Collapse, Bill Henderson leaves the band and is replaced by Steve Pedula on guitar. The album is recorded at Big Blue Mini Studio and produced by Sal Villanueva, which are we haven't really talked about them in the got to them in got to a list to Villanueva in our podcast yet, but they are fairly relevant figure in the New York hardcore scene at the time. While the recording of the record itself is quite smooth by all accounts, Victory Records has friction with the group when it comes to such minor things as printing the albums, 
distributing the albums, helping the band tour, and also the whole thing where they want to get any kind of say in the promotion of their music. Whack. To put some of this in perspective, Victory was going, well, we don't need a booklet with lyrics. We can just do a single image insert inside the thing. That's the level that they were being uh, chintzy on this. Yep. Um, additionally, the band literally is not informed on what single is the label going to release or when it's going to release it or how it's going to push it to the radios. The label tries really hard to push Thursday away from the DIY scene, telling them that they should not be doing smaller shows, while Thursday very much wants to do the smaller show, also to help like smaller bands. And finally, and I found this absolutely insane, Victory Records starts selling Thursday-branded whoopee cushions at the Warp Tour without even informing the band. Which, given that they are sort of the more serious side of punk, the band wasn't happy about that. Like, that that's just a fuck you at that point. Like, if you make blank-themed whoopee cushions without telling them, they're probably going to be like, <laughs> that's funny. But Thursday? <laughs> yeah, but Thursday, the band then makes songs about having PTSD from a car crash. I don't think a whoopee cushion fits with their stuff. You just call it a car crash cushion. That's the sound it makes. Flash. <laughs> oh, Ta-da. I'm in marketing now. Flash. <laughs> Wait till you see the ideas I have for our show. Fear.jpg Can, can we get, get, get out of this town themed whoopee cushions? Is that a thing that we can make like on Redbubble? Uh, I actually could probably arrange for that. <laughs> God, much no. <laughs> I've had to look into a lot of manufacturing and production stuff for work, so I probably could get us something in that vein. I, I would buy one. <laughs> That's one sale. Now I just got to get 49999 more. While this conflict continues, the record starts doing pretty well commercially. Understanding in a car crash, the first single, whose video was produced with concert footage the band didn't know was going to be used as a video, uh, eventually starts picking up speed on MTV, and the record will make it onto the Billboard charts next year in 2002, appearing for a single week at number 178. By the way, I would recommend checking the, and I've put a link, the chart of the week in which the record appears, because we're not yet in 2002, so I didn't do my whole spiel about what was going on in the charts at the time. But the chart from that week in 2002, it's wild just looking at the rock stuff that it's on there. Okay. Okay, no. I have to tell you the top 10 that week because, boy, this is a wild swing. Yeah. Wild. Number one. Now that's what I call music nine. <laughs> Number two. The Best of Both Worlds, R. Kelly and Jay-Z. When's the last time you thought about either of those artists in a positive manner? No. <laughs> Number three, Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Number four, Glenn Lewis's World Outside My Window. 
Number five, Jimmy Buffett. Yes, that Jimmy Buffett. Far side of the world. This is 2002. (laughs) Number six, Drive by Alan Jackson. Number seven, Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. Number eight, Under Rug Swept by Alanis Morissette, which is an underrated album. I would like to mention that Hybrid Theory from Linkin Park, two years after it was released. Yeah, this is its 74th week on the chart consecutively. Because it's good. And still in the top ten. Number nine, Word of Mouth by Ludacris. And number ten, the new breakout artist, Pink's Misunderstood. (laughs) Yeah. Also, if you scroll back, there are some other great stuff. Like we have Nickelback with Silver Side Up. That's when Nickelback was starting to pick up steam. We have, where is it? Puddle of Mud. Puddle of Mud. We have P.O.D. with Satellite. Remember P.O.D.? Yeah, they're local. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I definitely remember P.O.D. They still play. You have System of a Down with Toxicity. This was like... We're not quite there, but this was the year for new metal. Yo, number 30 is Fat Joe. (laughs) That's insane. I forgot Fat Joe was alive. Also, Kylie Minogue is at number 13 with Fever, so you know what? That's where I'm stopping on this list. Okay. I I actually ended up listening to the new Kylie album. It's okay. It's not her worst. You know, a lot of artists are doing this new disco thing and, like, updating disco to, like, modern production. And she just does have with, like, some more electronic production again, which I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just like, do you like ABBA? If yes, you will love this record. This is, like, good stuff in the genre, but it doesn't really do anything, like, new with it. Which depends on how much you like that kind of disco. I love, I love big gay disco. It turns out I'm a big gay. Yeah. The tracks. Yeah. Also... We did not mention it in these notes. There is a second video the band has for Cross Out the Eyes. It is a Christmas-themed video at first as a man emerges from a dump truck in a Jesus pose while snow comes down, and then he gets thrown into some sort of nightmare sanitarium before a woman comes in and picks him out like an animal at a pet store and dresses him up to take him away. Huh. Cool. The lead, who I believe is the band's singer, uh, I cannot quite tell because he looks very different in the ratty bits and he has his shirt on in the actual singing part, so I can't ID him by the tattoos, is doing a lot of very good physical acting. Also, you know what I discovered? Hmm. And I didn't know this before. This record, The Bats, the same week that The Place You Have Come to Fear the Most, The Bats on the chart. Yeah. Huh. Does it do better over time? Yeah, it's like 16 positions higher. It was a very emo week in America. Anyhow, this is pretty much the history of this record. Shall we go talking about the record itself? Sure. Please.
So there's an intro at the beginning of this. A0001. Love the intro. It's a nice short ambient piece. Yeah, it's it's neat because there's an intro and there's an outro and they have they're sort of similar, so it almost loops. It doesn't quite loop because it fades to silence, so it's just like silence, but it's thematic connection. I don't know, it's cool. After the short intro, we move into the first single, Understanding in a Crash Crash. Understanding in a Crackarsh. Understanding in a Car Crash. Yes. That one. This song is excellent. Seriously. It is. Yep. We're all in agreement for once. <laughs> this is the one song that I mentioned being about PSD after having a car crash. There's a reason why this is not tagged as emo pop, because most of this record is way harder than people will go. But this kind of sound is what I think when I think about emo pop. This is a solid moody piece with a great vocalist. The band already feels like it has gelled as one unit. And even better, proper scream technique used for the throat on all tracks on this album. I... I saw a great comment that it says that um, the singer sounds like if Robert Smith was a screamo singer. Yes. Which is actually fairly fitting. I referred to one or two tracks on this album as resembling a specific Cure track, and one of them was a very Joy Division opening. So yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is definitely what I think of when I think of emo pop. Like, melodic poster chord with, like, prominent minor chords. With this, like, slow, almost sinister-sounding verses. And then you climax into this big, loud choruses. With, like, background voice doing the screamo parts. I love this kind of music. This is why I, I, I made this podcast. This shit is great. The mixing is a bit weird. But I don't hate it. Like, the mixing is very flat. It is a little. There is not a lot of dynamics going on in the mixing. But it's a problem on one hand. But on the other hand, it makes it sound very, like, raw. And, like, very, like, you know, 90s DIY punk. It gives it this, like, less polished, you know, less polished aura than, you know, other things at the time had. And, yeah, it actually sort of works. I think, like, I don't know. I think it might have worked a bit better mixing-wise and, like, production-wise in a shorter record because 40 minutes in, I sort of wish a bit more dynamic sound was going on, but I think it there is a there is sort of, like, a, a, a good. There is a good. Me know English well. There is a good that comes from this kind of mixing. I think, as I said... They sound like they've already gelled together despite a lineup change since the last piece of media they've put out. We've got a great sound. Everyone knows how to carry their part of the song. And this one has a breakdown. It has 
some solos. It has parts where the vocals or the screaming are carrying it. Everything comes together, and this was a perfect choice for a first single on this album. Yeah, and also the, this was a good choice for a single in the album because this is one of the songs with the more conventional structure on the record. You have a verse, you have a chorus, but you also have some variation. At the end, they sort of repeat the verse over and over again in a very interesting way, which I pretty like. It's a, it's a tight little track that will definitely inspire more pop-oriented version of this kind of music moving forward. And then we move into Concealer. This one is an angrier escalation after the last track, and then I looked up the lyrics and went, oh, that explains that. Yeah, it's about domestic abuse. Fun times. Whoopee cushion times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me not looking at the lyrics. Oh. I mean, it's a good song about domestic abuse. It's like from the point of view of the victim, and it's just like, domestic abuse, bad, because make me feel bad like it's they're good lyricists they're just not whoopee cushion lyricists this is the white person version of no makeup her vice a kendrick lamar track off of section 80 where it is from the perspective of a young woman who is in an abusive situation and it's her boyfriend asking her you know hey you know you could you could also just like be more natural around me you don't have to throw on the layers and it's because she's hiding like black eyes and things this is basically the same sort of structure musically this is sort of more tropes that will recur over and over again after this record after people listen to this record and go oh i want to do that too uh, specifically here we have the big alt rocky noise wall in the verse and then for the chorus they switch into a slow tempo and switched from minor, like the sinister minor chords into like a more more major chord structure. And like the singing is doing this melody that's sort of like sad slash like big, like big sad, not like small indie sad, but like big, sad, scream, screamed. Like this is a thing that will happen a lot moving forward in a lot of similar records. But this is the first time we hear it, I think, in this uh, in this podcast. So Good job, Thursday. You, everyone's gonna copy this stuff. <laughs> I thought about listening to this one, how this is an angrier track that escalates off of where the last one was, but it has a slowdown and a, a muted middle of the song that still flows into both of the other halves. And it occurred to me, I'm describing this in a way that's so similar to a lot of the last few albums we did, but I don't know why it is this one feels better as a complete package to me. 
at no point on this album when we went into a moodier, more mellow breakdown was I going, oh my god, stop dragging this out, like I was with an Alkaline Trio. So, here's the thing, and I like the Alkaline Trio, so don't... I know, I'm saying. Uh, This record, even when they have, like, slower bits, I, I can mention just a single song where they go into a slower bit of the song and it's, it's like non-distorted guitar underneath. Like, they layer this shit so well in that the voice will go more melodic, the guitar stays, like, harsh and then, like, moves slowly into, like, a mellower tone while the voice remains melodic and then they sort of switch the roles back and forth. There's a, so much interesting movement happening in these tracks even when they go when they go like a bit like quieter a bit like sadder there's just so much interesting stuff going on and we should mention that by from concealer onwards aside from a couple of tracks they just like gave up on giving structure to the songs structures for squares that aren't making real art obviously yeah this is just we came up with like Five melodies, and we put them together, and I guess this is a song, which, you know, your mileage may vary on that, but it works. It works. They they have a lot of interesting ideas, and they put them together, and they don't necessarily come together in a song quite well, but all of those ideas are interesting and fun to listen to, so I like them. This is not, you know, not quite the level of uh, influences and sort of like almost prog attitude that the band like at the driving has, but it's getting there. This is like clearly like post-hardcore in that way, in that way where it's just like, we're not just making a punk record, we're like making a lot of like artsy choices in how we structure our song and how we move our layers around. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense for you. I see where you're coming from with it, and I don't disagree. It's just a thing that started to... As I realized I was writing down some similar takes on this material, but without the same emotional punch of our past few recording sessions, I I just thought about that. Speaking of a real punch and oof to it, let's talk about Autobiography of a Nation. This is apparently based on a poem by Michael Palmer named Sun, which I don't know. Yeah, I can definitely see where this is similar now to mix up some of the lyrics here. In the song, write these words back down inside. We have burned their villages and the people in them died. We adopt their customs and everything they say we steal. Uh, From the poem itself... Write this, we have burned all their villages. Write this, we have burned all the villages and the people in them. Write this, we have adopted their customs and their manner. So yeah, 
if you look through both of these side by side, it's very apparent where some of the inspiration is coming from. Yeah. But it's still remixed. It's still done in a way that flows. A thing we should mention, it's over a minute before you hear any speech. This just has a long Joy Division style, overwhelmingly dour opening. Yeah, pretty great. Yes. It reminds me of the opening of a specific Joy Division track, actually, Atmosphere, which just starts with slow guitars and then a bit of drums and eventually the slow vocal rise. It's not as long there as it is here because uh, Joy Division did not really do the longest tracks, but... Anyhow, when this track goes hard, it goes hard. Listen to the dissonant guitar flares after they start screaming. Great stuff. Hardcore influences are still very present in Thursday. They are very much an emo core band. And it's an abrupt end that just cuts out from under you. Yeah. And lyrically, like, this is the track where I was like, oh, these people have actual lyrics, not like... My girlfriend left me, I'm so sad. No, they actually have lyrical talent, even though some of these lyrics are references to a poem, but... Well, here's the thing. You could give a bunch of bands the challenge, turn a poem into a song, pay it homage, rework the material you've got, whatever. It would be a real challenge to get something you could still sing and compose around for so many acts we've dealt. Imagine if Dashboard Confessional tried this. Oh no, I don't want to. See? <laughs> Already, the, it doesn't... Just having the material to work with doesn't mean you'll turn it into something listenable. So I'm impressed by this because, again... This band feels more mature than so much we've dealt with. Oh yeah, this song is great. It's also like one of the, where they start going, uh, at least the vocal melody becomes a bit slower. There are like this long sustained notes. It, it's great. It's just like, it's very visceral. This was the track that told me I'm buying this album. So I did. Oh, cool. Yeah, this this is now number two that in the middle of my listen, was like, yo, grabbing this. Nice. Yeah, Clarity and now um, Full Collapse. You know, spoiler alert, this is like there with Jimmy Edwards. I actually, you know, I think this is like probably either the best or the second best album we review for this podcast. Again, that's just so the singer has like this visceral sort of like emotion of despair that's constantly blaring through the record. And it doesn't come off as whiny as someone like Chris Carabba, partly because the lyrics are not terrible. <laughs> I think that's that's the thing that you've pointed a couple of times, and it's, I think there can be like a good singer with the lyric being crap. But oh yeah, I think there's definitely an influence. Like if this guy was singing, you know, dashboard confessional lyrics. I would not like him as much, but when he's singing, like, actual artfully composed sentences, that kind of, like, visceral, like, screaming and visceral, just like, I'm a helpless man-child 
screaming in a microphone sort of works because, you know, there is stuff at play there. And again, there's great instrumentation, like it goes really hard with the hardcore stuff. And there are a lot of things that are like a bit played out now, but thinking about like this was 2001, like a lot of the the breakdowns and a lot of the guitar work is really good, but it's also a thing that's been done a lot. But at the time it wasn't. But it was new back then. Yeah, it was new back then. So there's like that aspect that makes it like interesting. So I made this comment on understanding in a car crash, but I want to just dig into it a little more now that we're getting into the dashboard versus Thursday thing. I think that this is a band where they know how to use screaming as punctuation, as an instrument. They have better vocal control than where on the dashboard album, everything sounded incredibly flat. And sometimes I raise my voice, but there is nothing going on. And this, the screams are used not all the time. Like, there's a couple tracks that are scream heavy, but when the emotion, when the raw sound comes out, it's to just give you a sucker punch behind the rest of the lyrics and what the vocals are doing. Yeah, like at the end of Understanding in a Car Crash, I really love the ending bit where, like, the... The leading voice is just like singing the verse like it was before. And the screamo part in the background just slowly scansions the title in the back. That's actually a really cool bit there. That's memorable and like well, like well designed to, to like have an emotional effect. Yeah. This whole thing is a better version of what we just covered in the last month. And I'm all over it because it immediately blows those other guys out of the water and goes no fucker do this i mean the the other main difference between this and dashboard confessional is that this is a punk record dashboard confessional was a acoustic guitar record yeah i cannot stress enough how much every track on this album worked the next song is the weak one for me and I wrote that in the first half, and then the second half picked right up and kicked me in the throat. Next song is uh, A Hole in the World, by the way, which uh, I'm, I also liked that Disco Elysium quest a lot. I guess they had like a preview copy in 2001 before it was officially released. It's a funny joke if you play Disco Elysium, it's like a very iconic quest that's about a hole in the world. I was thinking about picking that up, and then they announced, hey, Deluxier Edition next year, and I thought, I can wait. I'll get to it. it, it this Coalition is okay. It, it has some great side quests. 
it has some great world building and then there's like the personal story of the main character which is like if you had gone to a therapist this game wouldn't exist that's my entire life so you're selling me harder think of who you're talking to <laughs> okay that's fair the song is great way more peppy than i expected as it opened <laughs> I really like the peppy opening. I'm sad that it does suffer from that syndrome that we had this idea and you have like this way more a bit opening. But then we had another idea, so we scrapped the first idea halfway through. It's like, no, no, do that thing again. That thing is cool. See, I'm the reverse. I thought the first, like I said, I wrote the first half was the first bland track to me. And then the second half came in swinging and was like, oh, man, I got your back. I like the part at the end. Oh, but the 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 part at the beginning has like this very Midwest emo ta da ta billy 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 ta da ta billy 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 billy. Do also like that part. I do like the dealy 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 parts. It's great. I love when a guitar goes like choo choo choo, billy 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 choo 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 choo. Yeah, this dudes need better choruses, but we'll get there eventually. I don't think they're that bad, but I'm I mean, also... they don't have choruses. That's sort of the problem. Yeah, this this is a very free-flowing record after a certain point. Understanding is one of the most traditional tracks on the album, but then we're starting to get into some real, oh, this is the post in post-hardcore and post-punk. Okay. This song's got some fancy piano at the end also. Yeah. Fancy Thursday. My only real letdown about this track is the name made me expect something Deftones-like and I didn't get it. Yeah, that's fair. There's a hole in the earth. Yeah, it's a good song. So, also, a thing that I appreciate from this band is that even when they don't have great melodies, they do some very interesting things with the like, rhythmics of the vocal. They have, like, they have very varied like rhythmic structures in their uh, melodies in that even if like they're not really having a hooky melody like there's always like something interesting happening with the voice they're, they're, they're always up to something this Thursday dudes they're always up to something always always scheming um yeah yeah no these dudes are good like I am expecting the next record to be a bit more refined but like there's so much interesting stuff in here. Again, like in this song and like in the next song, you have like this bits where like the um, from out of nowhere the voice goes into like this very like rhythmically even mode, like da 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 da, and like the guitar slowly starts following the voice, and there's like there's a lot of good... Comp I'm trying to say there's a lot of good, thoughtful composition that you don't see generally in this podcast. They think about how the different, like, lines of instruments interlock together and play a lot with that. And, like, I'm expecting that from, like, an art rock record. Uh, I'm expecting that from, like, a prog record. Not from the stuff that we usually listen on this podcast. And, like, that's great. I can actually listen to like some artfully composed like different like different like lines of music that interlock in interesting way. Yeah, not much of this album could be said to be 
samey. Everything feels like a unique composition rather than the guitarist knew one rhythm that he relied on, like we've had with a few of the punkier albums. And I mean, I like punk, but I also like this stuff. And this stuff is punk, but like different. Oh yeah, this is this is the hardcore end of punk, and it's a real change of pace from a lot of what we've been covering, focusing on the pop side. Yeah. Turns out our least favorite thing about this uh, uh, podcast is the part where there's pop in our pop emo uh, punk. Hey, don't for yourself. I like Dr. Trio. <laughs> Alkaline Trio was good. I'm sure eventually we'll get to Silver Sun pickups and that'll be fun. Shall we go to the next song? Because the next song, actually going contrary to what I said, has a great chorus. Cross out the eyes, ba 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 ba. That's great. That's like that kind of like rhythmically like very hooky stuff that they do, even if the melody doesn't quite still get there. Cross out the eyes. It's quite good. I'm pretty sure Taking Back Sunday did this exact song, but like not as hard at some point. <laughs> That's why I say that everyone was inspired by this dude. This is pretty sure they did this song almost to the point, but with less heavy guitars. Uh, neat that you mentioned Taking Back Sunday and also some of our discussion earlier because I discovered while I was looking up the lyrics for this track and about the single that this is on a compilation with Taking Back Sunday, among others, called Victory Style Volume 5 that I cannot figure out the theme of. Here are some of the other bands that are on a album that contains Cross Out the Eyes by Thursday. Okay. A cover of Ziggy Stardust by Grade. The Ballad of Sal Villanueva by Taking Back Sunday. A Song for the Optimists by Atreyu. The Voodoo Glow Skulls. The River City Rebels. Electric Frankenstein. The Snow Dogs soundtrack. And Ringworm playing Amputee. Well, I know three of those bands. I have no idea what the theme of this is, and I cannot find a copy of this album anywhere as of yet. I mean, Taking Back Sunday and Atreyu are sort of like Thursday clones, in that they do the same kind of thing, only a bit less hard. So I could see those three bands being in a compilation. I don't... I don't know what the rest is. Again, a Ziggy Stardust cover. It's a good song. But what does it have to do with any of what we just described? I don't know. Cross Out the Eyes is quite a good second single. This is the one that had the very freaky Christmas video with a man Jesusing out of the trash truck to be adopted by a woman. I wish this song was a bit harder. I think this song could have used by being a full, like, hardcore punk track because it has, like, that great chorus. And it's sort of, like, this is the one song, and I, this does happen a lot in this record, but this, I feel, is the one song that actually, when they slow down, it sort of loses a bit of steam. 
because you have that great chorus that's like mm, sort of meant to go on like a very like fast song and then slowing it down where they do is not as interesting as in other songs I feel I feel in fact sort of like loses a bit of the momentum that they build up this is an odd record because this is a very hard hitting record there's a lot of heaviness in it but it's not necessarily a fast record it's not necessarily like an energetic record this is like I am so sad that I'm gonna scream a lot and my guitar guitar is going to be very loud. And I feel this would have been the chance for having a full-on, this is a punk song, this is fast. But they don't do that. They rely back on that sad, 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 hardcore screaming, which is fine. I don't think it's a bad song. I think this is actually a really good song. I think that chorus is great. Uh, I think this song could have been a bit harder. I think this is the one song where they could have gone like full punk and it would have made uh, the record flow a bit better. I don't know. I would like to hear the alternate outtakes version on a 20th anniversary re-release of this that goes, hey, here's a demo version of Cross Out the Eyes where we tried to make it much harder just to see what that would sound like. Yeah. That would be interesting. But I also like, after the first chorus, every one of them starts teasing you more with more build-up and prelude before getting to the actual chorus. That is fair. That's a good flow to me, and I think that, yeah, it could be a little harder, but I think we all agree, or at least Ellie and I agree, the chorus is a good shifting of gears every time it comes up. Oh, absolutely. Just a sneering scream behind everything. Cross out yeah. the eyes! Yeah. Great. Yep. I don't think the singles on this album were chosen poorly. Uh, yeah, I mean, they chose the three song with a chorus. Yeah. It's uh, it's not difficult to choose singles from this record, because three of these 11 tracks have a chorus. The rest of them don't. The album that first made me aware of how much of a nightmare it is to choose how to market any kind of post-rock or related album was the final Talk Talk album, which, when I bought it, led to me going, Why is none of this on the radio? Oh, right. These are six to eight minute tracks where he barely speaks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or you could do like uh, like Closure in Moscow did for that one record and have one completely unrelated from the rest of the album pop song. Yeah. Just throw it in there as a single. And then trap everyone. Let's buy more of this. Oh, no. <laughs> By the way, I definitely recommend you that... Uh, I, this is the second time in uh, two episodes that I mentioned it, but that's, I think that's something that you would enjoy, Pink Lemonade by Closure in Moscow. It's like a really neat, like, fun, like, playful, prog, rock, punkish record. I have it open in a background tab now to listen to when we're done. Oh, there's a music video. Yeah, there are like two. Uh, although I would not recommend to watch the video for the Church of the Technocrite, just because it's a cut-down version of the album song. And the album song is great. I like it when you can get a band that does the opposite of that. Probably one of my favorite videos of the last decade was Neon Indians' Slumlord Rising. Hmm. 
which jams together two tracks off of the Vega International Night School album into a whole, so it makes a better narrative for the video. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it does Slumlord and Slumlord's release as a single. That is cool. Hmm. Anyhow, the next track is Paris in Flame. Speaking of going full art rock. Yeah. And this also has like one of those light metalcore riffs that we will start hearing more and more in pop punk as we move forward. But it works here in like an actual hard hitting song. Also, did not expect a band of a bunch of white dudes in 2002. Well, I guess 2001, but to just really start slamming their local scene and being so incredibly pro-gay. I took this as a giant love letter to... Paris is burning. Paris is burning. Yes, thank you. The whole thing about drag culture and the balls and the underground scene, especially when you look at some of the things, you know, we all sing the songs of separation and our lives bleed out through our hands. That's how it was on the first day when we saw Paris in flames. After all the things you say, you hate me for being this way. I'm pretty sure it's quite open, especially with how this is talking a lot of New York-specific references. The collapsed lung of a burrow, the Lower East Side is a jukebox. I guess you could say it's just shitting on a 2000s-era Giuliani, because remember, prior to uh, prior to 9-11, that dude was going to lose his job. He was hated. Turns out I have a lot of beef with many people who have run the city or state of New York, despite not residing there. I mean... That's a whole other story. That's valid, Sledge. This song is pretty damn good. It is. Yeah, no, that's good. This has very, and this is me referencing thing that, you know, took inspiration from this thing and not the other way. But I, I'm a young person, so I, I will do that. Um, yeah, this has very Pax Cecilia energy. Uh, mm-hmm. For Again, anyone listening, Pax Cecilia, Blessed Are the Bonds, amazing post-rock slash screamo album that takes sort of like this tones and makes them even like more somber, adding like strings and stuff like that. Uh, great album, and this has sort of that energy in that it's a slower track, has actually like a slower, more reflective, more dark almost kind of vibe to it. It like starts with the, has like, is this the one with the spoken part? 
spoken voice part? Yes, this is the one that does one of the two spoken word pieces on the album. Yeah. Yeah. They work really well. Like, there are the spoken voice bits that make add to the darkness and, like, the oppressiveness of the song. And now they've learned what the song is about. It makes sense. It's like, you know, it describes a, a place that might not be the best to live in. And it does it by making a song that's dark and oppressive, like I imagine um, uh, the the New York would be at the times. That's great. If you want something in this vein that is a little more mainstream, like if you are interested in some of this, a very related show that does go into a little bit of queer stuff, but is more broad. Uh, I would highly recommend the recent HBO series, The Deuce, which covered three seasons jumping forward in time from the 70s, 80s, and then closing that decade as New York became the porn production capital of the world, how sex work was affected, and into them trying to clean up the streets and the Giuliani era and, like, redevelopment and how it crushed out all the little people who were making their dirty work to get by. It's a very good show with a very good cast, and the final season, despite you knowing that, oh yeah, you know, New York went on, and depending on who you ask, only improved at the turn of that century, has this apocalyptic feel as all these lives get swept up in it. That does sound good. And it does have a a major theme of gay culture going through it, the bathhouses, anyone who was street working, various sorts of activities, and what you had to do to make your way in those eras. It's a good show. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Anyhow, this is the song where I realized that the guitar work on this record is great. Very creative. It has actually a lot of range. There's a lot of atmospheric guitars on this specific song, even though it eventually sort of shifts into a more like hardcore slash metalcore sort of riff. But there's also a lot of just like slow, atmospheric, like grungy, oppressive feel here. I love it. I love the guitars. The progression on Paris in Flames is amazing because it's switching tempo. It's keeping... None of it feels jarring, but it's bringing you through all the up and down moods of this consistently, and it builds and it ebbs and it flows, and it doesn't ever miss the beat. I love how the metal rifts are sort of like, it's not even a metal rift, it's just like this sort of like hard hitting riff. Everything else sort of mutes down for a second, and it almost acts as a connective tissue between different parts of the song, like the para 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 and you just have it like at the edge of different bits of the song, almost connecting things. It's pretty cool. I think this dude sort of like listened to a lot of prog when writing this, because that's the thing that you see happen a lot in like prog suits, where you have just like a specific element used like as repetitively to connect different bits. Like, that is not a thing that you see a lot in punk. That's interesting. We diagnosed them with prog. 
Yeah, I definitely diagnosed them with having listened to a bit too too much prog before writing this album. There's a definite track that we're going to get to later, which is like it's peak prog on this album. We're not there yet. In the meantime, we should probably go on to I think of this one as a very David Byrne track. I am the killer. I mean, is it just because of Psycho Killer? This actually reminds me more of some of their dark story tracks like Listening okay. Wind. I think this track is sort of weak, actually. I think, again, it's this is another of these uh, things where, like, there are a lot of good ideas. And... You know, the chorus being, I am not killer, but I still hide my face in the coming days. It's actually like, good lyricism, good melodically, but it's sort of drowned out by the structurelessness of the track. I feel this is another one of those tracks where there are like, good bits, but they don't quite put them together in what could have been a great, hard-hitting, coherent structure. I don't hate this track, but I think it's one of the weakest just because there, it has a lot of potential, but it never quite realizes it. On the other hand, this is one of the hardest songs on the record, so I can appreciate it for that, at least. Yeah, that's very close to what I was going to say, which is not counting the opening and the closing tracks, which are sort of weird ambient pieces on their own that are kind of hard to rank. This is easily bottom to bottom one for me, which is not a damning statement. Oh, no, absolutely not. It comes in incredibly hard. I I say it has very Talking Heads vibes in how it doesn't quite fit a standard flow. It's doing something different, but you're right. It doesn't make the same coherent whole, and especially directly after Paris and Flames, which was able to weave things together more tightly, this sputters in places it's like the engine stalls on this song yeah i honestly had to go back and listen to this one again because i was like wait what song is that oh the one that just wasn't that great and the fact that this is the thing we can say is not that great on this album tells you how damn good this album is right this would be a real standout on so many of the other middle-of-the-road albums we've covered. I mean, this would have been a bit of a out of a left field in a lot of other albums that we've covered. If Blink suddenly had this in the middle of one of their albums, I would be very confused. <laughs> Actually, alright, I would love to hear the Blink version of this, because I think it would sound like that one really depressing track in the middle of their last one we covered. Which of the many? I think that's the way they'd go with it. Oh, that is fair. 
I can understand comparing this to like Chris Carabba's sad times because the singing is sort of like the kind of emo singing. I don't know how much you can really compare this to, you know, pop punk. This is not pop. It's very much not pop. Yeah, we don't have a lot of emo and hardcore stuff yet to touch on as touch points on this show. We we all, I think, have some experience with the genre before and after, but of what we've discussed in depth, it's kind of this in Dashboard, really. Yeah. And the Get Up Kids, but that's sort of like more on the poppier, punkier side. Yeah. The Get Up Kids are the blockbuster version of this. <laughs> I liked the Get Up Kids. No, that's not a bad statement. It's just like, it's the more popular, more palatable, whereas this is diving into some weird, you gotta go to the art theater in the back of the city to see it territory. Let's switch on to the next track, Standing on the Edge of Summer. This was the third single, and it did not get a video, and I don't know why you use this one as a single, to be honest. Uh, well, this is like a slower track, you know. You have to have your slow romantic ballad as your third single. That's the, that's the thing. Uh, you are aware of what this song is about, right? I know, that's the joke. <laughs> Gotcha, just checking. <laughs> I was going to be very, very worried I would break your heart if you thought this was the romantic track. What's this song about? It is about Jeff Rickley visiting his grandmother, and he realized that it was the last time he was going to see her because she was visibly dying. Oh. And it's just sort of a tribute to that and realizing how fast you can be gone. So pretty good lyrically. Again, this this dude like have range lyrically. It's uh, one of the most slow tracks on the record. And I appreciate how it can get harder without needing to scream on this one. There's a lot of good guitar work that makes this not you know, makes this not like not flat as it could be, but the actual singing stays in like a very melodic register, and I think that's uh, that demonstrates a lot of range from the band, where they can still have something that's sonically coherent with the rest of the record, but they can make it in a slightly different way. And I really like the very melancholic tone with uh, sneaking in still some hard guitars here and there because you have to keep like sort of like a style. But it's a it's a good it's a good switch from the rest of the record. This is one of the most melancholic, sad songs, as you know, the subject matter would imply. And yeah. Also again, the the more we talk about it, the more I realize, oh, this dude's actually write lyrics, which is not a thing that we get a lot on this podcast. Right? This dude's actually like write interesting about interesting and like fucking good 
good, effective, emotional, affecting things, and not about sad because no GF. I want to build on something you said, which is that this one is slow. It keeps the volume down. It doesn't do screaming, but instead, it uses the lyrics to give that counterpunch that the louder vocals do on other tracks. Uh, the chorus, there's there's a lot of interplay in the lines, and I think it's trying to do the same hit you emotionally, but without having to be so blunt about it. In this house of cards, we're all holding hearts and spades. One breath, one step could knock it all down. But you lead with your eyes and you give it away. Decide, design to cut from the clouds. When the people you love get lost in the shuffle, when you leave, you leave nothing but broken hearts. And the whole thing is waving all those metaphors together in and out into one tight chorus. And then the outro just really leaves you with a sinking feeling as it goes. Pull your punches and burn with your cigarettes. Pulled like a punch and burnt like a cigarette. Forever. And that's it. I love this album, and this is a very... Think of how many tribute songs you've heard that go overboard with the maudlin nature and spell out, I miss you, it's terrible. It doesn't give you the same kick that a well-told... Uh, I think I mentioned this before. Probably one of my favorite in this genre is Thomas Dolby's I Love You Goodbye, where it's just describing a memory of someone he lost. And then the chorus is the hardest words I know are I Love You Goodbye, playing over a rollicking piano that just fades out. It's It's the wake as celebration of life, not as feeling miserable about it. Yeah, that's fair. This has a lot of that same energy, just without the piano and Thomas Dolby on a raft. Slightly less great is the next track, Wind Up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I will cut through. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was about to say, Wind Up is sort of like the previous track, but not as good. It lives up to its name in that it does take about a minute to build up before you get to anything speedier. It's got a slow intro, but then it's just like this would be probably the only other competitor for least impressive track on the album. Yeah, this is sort of a cleaner take, a more focused and concise take on some other ideas, musical ideas they've explored previously in the album. Again, the slow, slow into a big explosive uh, bit of music. But I don't know, it sort of goes nowhere, and most songs on this record go nowhere. 
but the fact that this is sort of more polished, it sort of puts it in this weird middle ground where it's not still, uh, it's not yet a like structured pop emo song, but it's, it's a bit too clean and too quote-unquote obvious in a couple of things that it does to be one of these great sort of like post-hardcore we're playing a lot with structure song. So it sort of sits in this middle, which is not a bad song, but it's sort of one of the most forgettable on the record. Yeah. Also, hey, remember when I was saying that these guys had a Joy Divisionist sound at times? I just discovered Wind Up was also on an EP of theirs that contained a track simply named Ian Curtis. I think it's intentional. <laughs> yeah. Might be. There are definitely influence from like that kind of new wave from uh, you know Joy Division, post-punky new wave stuff. I just didn't expect it spelled out so blatantly. the night is basically thursday doing a prog suite this is my favorite song of the record i didn't get a chance to say it on the last track but on the last track was when i started to get tired of this album because it's long so by the time i got to this one i was like mm, nap time yeah that's fair it's only 40 minutes but also you had a exhausting week so it's understandable yes and this is almost a six-minute-long song. It's the longest on the record by a while. Yeah, so this starts with a harsh, melodic, hardcore bit. With, like, very melodic, like, spoken lines. Tempo changes into sad, heavy stuff. Then you have a plot twist, and you get some non-distorted guitar on this record, which is uh, a treat. You don't always get them, and when you get them, it's a treat. Like, this song feels very at the drive-in. Like, this song feels almost like Mars Voltage. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of offbeat, a lot of unexpected changes, not only of tempo, not only of type of riffs and rhythm used, but also, like, changes in how the song feels. As you mentioned, it's almost like a prog suit. So, yes, you move into this mellower... You, this mellower bit, and then you move into another bit, and I love this. I love how, again, how the different lines, different, like, instruments interplay with each other. I love how the voice keeps the, you know, melodic slow line while the guitars and the drums transition to a harder, harder section of the song, and, you know, not all of the instruments transition to different sections at the same time, so the interplay is really, really nice. And this song is so nice. This is great. This is weirdly enough. This changes a lot, but it's also one of the most like sonically coherent and just like structurally interesting and coherent songs of the record. 
it's sort of in that midway between the simplicity of tries and uh, complexity of that the driving and they're sort of like in the middle when they're still very punk there's still some accessibility to them but they play a lot with structure they play a lot with melody and i don't know their next record would probably be a bit more focused and a bit more pop song structure but i like this i i think there there is value in having more of a structure but this i feel this has a charm to it and i can definitely see how someone might criticize this record as sort of unfocused but i think especially with this song how long is the night you sort of get the charm of being like oh this dude's had like six ideas and instead of making six songs they made one song and that's sort of awesome and i love it also I would throw this as the slow version comparison of Paris and Flames and that everything blends well. As well as, I want to just highlight the excellent use of, during the slower segment, there's this sort of cry, laugh, yell noise that they're making in the background, and Oof. Yeah. It I love it. It's just such it's like you were pitch bending your throat compared to the normal screaming. It's great. Is this the first time in this podcast where we got proper screamo? Yes. Nice. Love it. Yeah. This this is probably the third in my top three tracks on the album, but who Dog, this is just such a great conclusion to everything. Yeah, I feel that a good trick to make me think that your album is better than it is is have a great opener, have a great closer, and what's in between sort of doesn't matter once you do that. Get a, get a couple of gems that you can point out and go, oh yeah, that one's great. If you like place them at the beginning and the end, like the illusion there is the like... If it opens in a way and it closes in a way, you sort of like, oh, your memory assumes that everything in the middle is sort of as good as the rest. And this record is good throughout, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, half jokingly, but half is also sort of true. If you have a great opener and a great closer, I will remember your album in a, in a more gentler way than I would if you have those tracks in the middle, because you sort of like capstone my memories of the record. I understand that entirely. And this, you know, here's the other thing that I think is excellent about it. Normally, I know I've said, yeah, you, you discount the first and the last track on this one. They're very clear intro and outro. But the intro is just sort of there as a warm up. The outro in a second, which I've, I've seen written a couple of ways. Uh, I saw it as 1100 on my copy of this. Uh, it's L1100 on Genius for some reason. Uh, it's a very good droning ambient closer that's sort of reminiscent of one of the last tracks on Disintegration by The Cure, Never Go Home. That's nothing but, for the majority of it, piano in the background, spoken word Robert Smith, and then eventually drums and guitar carrying it out to tinkling piano. That's the same sort of vibe this has. 
and it sort of connects thematically with the first track and that they're sort of the same track although they fade out and then fade in but that's new good i like stuff that loops back to the beginning it's neat This whole record was neat and technical and composed in a way we haven't gotten yet. This rules. Yeah, I love this. On one hand, this is, will inspire a lot of stuff coming after this. This will pretty much give about like five to six tropes to what we will come to know as Pop moving forward. On the other hand, this is a great record on its own and for reasons very different from like you know, stuff like Taking Back Sunday, like actual emo pop. Like, this is a fairly com more complex than average record for the genre. It has a lot of, like, structural messiness that you can, you know, take or leave. I like it. I like the sheer amount of idea that they throw. There are a couple of really banger tracks. There is a lot of good stuff in here. I like the Screamo, I think everyone in this banding great, especially the two guitarists. I think the guitar work in this record is fantastic, there's a lot of like really smartly played like bits, there is a lot of just like well composed guitar works and there's a lot of, and they're played well. I think the vocalist is great, I think a lot of the tracks work. This is a bit short from being the absolute excellence because again that structureless sort of sometimes works sometimes not it depends on how i'm feeling that day quite honestly but yeah i really want to hear more from this band i think that like this is great and if they continue being like this sort of like trying different things, trying to compose like actually complex thing, actually like structurally complex thing. And if they just polish the stuff a bit, then they can be like really good. Like this is great. I am so excited to hear their next like three records because from what I hear, this is their worst record. And if this is their worst record, oh boy, I'm, I'm really looking forward for their upcoming stuff. I'm doing my usual dive ahead on the band just to see where they go. And A, we're going to have some interesting stories about what comes next and their exit from Victory Records. And B, yeah, definitely wasn't reading the queer stuff into the track uh, Paris is Burning or... Paris in Flames. Paris in Flames. Yeah, I was like, no, that's the documentary. Uh, definitely wasn't reading the queer stuff into Paris and Flames because I'm looking up some info on their first single off the next one, and they're very open about, yeah, turns out, still more queer talk. Yay! Finally. The song is, quote, and this is a quote from an interview, uh, the song is about gender issues and discussing sexuality in a non-negative way and coming to terms with his own identity, saying he didn't feel an affinity for male culture such as and this dates when this whole thing was happening. The Man Show. The what? I want you to imagine... 
I will tell you one detail about the Man Show, and that will instantly tell you everything. Co-hosted by Adam Carolla in the 2000s. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Final thoughts are album good, even though my brain is mush. Um, I think that the lack of structure was neat and cool, and Ellie's just being a cop. <laughs> That's the only time you can ever call Ellie a cop. <laughs> so I had to do it. Like, let's be real. I'm the cop on this podcast. <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're more like, you know, a washed-out P.I. Oh, I... These days, I'm sure I give off weird noir detective vibes, but of the three of us, I'm the cop by definition. That is fair. Yeah, definitely, like, ex-cop who is now a P.I. and, like, has a detective agency, but most of the cases are solved by, like, her niece, like her ten-year-old niece. I am basically the holodeck program that every fucking Starfleet captain plays with in their free time. <laughs> there's Dixon Hill. There's whatever the fuck the one on Voyager was. There's, I guess they just had a lounge singer on DS9. I'm not that. Do you have any more final thoughts? Nope. It was good. This fucking jams. This This is absolutely... Number one thing we've covered for this show with a bullet. Hell yeah. I think Jimmy at Ward is more a bit more art rocky and it's much more like in my kind of like you know uh, taste a bit more. But this is great. Like I think this, it's either this or Jimmy at Ward, and I don't know. I don't know which to put first. I think Jimmy at Ward still wins because I really like that record. very short version of what's coming next is that Thursday and Victory Records will have a completely fucked relationship even after the release of this record and it's pretty solid success they will not really have a hand in any of their promotion strategy and they're constantly being harangued for not performing to expectations so despite all that a few major labels are going to start talking to them, and that uh, that clause in the contract we mentioned earlier will come up. See where they land in 2003 with War All the Time. War All the Time. War All the Time. That sounds like something like the army of the bad guy in like a comic would chant. That's literally the plot of Cyborg 009. Black ghosts are merchants of death who are trying to start major world wars to sell arms to every faction. That's also the plot of every Metal Gear game ever. That's just the plot 
of arms companies in the real world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if arms companies in the real world are quite as blatant as a Metal Gear or a Black Ghost character. That's fair. I don't know those things, so. Black Ghost literally sells the world's or the nations of the world anti-weaponry devices at one point that are designed to launch a hidden missile so their defense shields all turn into everyone seeing that everyone else is attacking them to try and kick off global Armageddon and sell everyone the devices that will take the war into space and underwater. I love that dude just like one step above just selling them like a a, a window with like a missile drawn on it. Yeah. Hey, look out of the window. There's a missile. Wait, is that a drawing of a missile? Yes. Uh Thursday's future is well off because next week we're going to visit another big name from the salt mines of 2001, the Mancho Incarnate, Sum 41. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting to pop punk. We have reached pop punk. And next week will be the album All Killer No Filler, which I highly disagree with. All Filler No Killer? I've never listened to this full album, but uh, I do like the singles. I do like the the rapping at the beginning of that one single. Same song, different chorus. This was the episode. If you want to hear more of this stuff, for some reason, you could go to getoutofthistown.com, which is our website where you can find a whole lot of stuff, including, and not and not only, our email, where you can write things to us. It is getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. Write us, tell us, do you like the punk, do you like the post, and do you like the hardcore? Let us know if you like any of those things. And, 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 and we will tell you if you're right, if you actually like them. We will gatekeep you out of punk. Rate your rating of music. <laughs> Send us your favorite bands, and we will rate how much you like them. We will not rate the band, we will rate your liking of them. Tweet us at podcast. You know how people say don't at me? Please at us, because we're lonely. You can also find us on iTunes, on the Spotify, on the Google Play, on the Amazon, on the iHeartRadio, on the other things. Everywhere. We're everywhere. We're inside your house. Run. Rate and review us if you're on the iTunes. If you're running away from your house and you're running inside an iTunes, rate and review us. Give us five stars. We can trade five stars for a power-up. We can get giant like Mario and stomp you. Also, if you happen to want that we're-in-your-house-run vibe, please look up Trebacco's streaker video. Just get the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah, or the the latest clipping record. Mmm. That's also good. And yeah, next up, as we discussed, we're going to talk about Sam 41. Pretty sad that some 1 to 40 didn't chart, so we won't necessarily get the whole plot of the thing, but I'm sure it will be enjoyable. 
And ultimately, what matters is what matters is one single question. Well, two single questions. The first one being, do you have anything to plug, Fletch? Yes, I'm going to talk about my new prog group, Sum 42, which does Douglas Adams-themed power metal. And also, you can find that and all of my projects at hellscaper.com. The second question that really matters is, do you have anything to plug, Adam? Nope, I do not exist. And you can find me, as always, at ACC the Moon on Twitter. I actually posted this week my top... 42 records of the year, including at least three punk records, so that might be of interest to you. Uh, you can help me get to the fourth click Look on that it. list. Look at it! Look That's quite at good. it! It'll be, a, it'll be on my twi- Twitter if you just scroll down. If you would like to support us, we do not have a Patreon. However, we can help you if you have been in a car crash. Call us on Twitter, on email, on the podcast and we can get you upwards of 20 whole dollars for your emotional turmoil. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pocket and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. What's terrifying? I, I, I was uh, uh, clumsily attempting to transition into how long is the night. No, that's fair, but Rose's bed will be cut. So I appreciate your transition, but also like... This is, this is gonna be one of the bits where I'm just like, and cut about like 10 minutes of podcast. That was an easy edit for this bit. <laughs> well, at least it's easy. Yeah, that's probably fair.